live from Shelley's back room. It is the best political talk show you've never heard of. It's Backroom Politics, live on Blog Talk Radio. I'm your moderator, Justin Russell. Joining me around the table, Congressman Al Swift, Bob Hines, Carl Tuvin, Alan Moore, Dan Lipner, and Rear Admiral Ken Carradine. It's Tuesday, which means it's time for Backroom Politics. Let's join the roundtable live at Shelley's Back Room, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Afternoon out there in Radio Land. It's Tuesday, and we're back. Just when you thought we were out, they drag us back in. This is Backroom Politics live on Blog Talk Radio. We've come back. We're come, back. We're, we're back. back. Yay. That's right. And we've got new introductions. We've got new all kinds of everything. And we've got a lot to talk about. But I have to introduce, joining us is our regular contributor, our good friend. He is the New York Times bestselling author of HRC. He is also a noted columnist for Roll Call and a senior contributor to Sidewire. He is John Allen. Jonathan, thanks for joining us, sir. What's up? What's going on? Hey, we've got a lot to talk about, but since we're back on Blog Talk Radio, I get to say this for the first time in a year. If you want to join the conversation, you can dial in 657-383-0419. Again, you can call in. Call me a rhino. I baited a lot of people to do that. Call me a rhino. 657-383-0419. But if you call me a hippo, I might come kick you. <laughs> we got a lot to talk about. I mean, it has been a glorious two weeks for political junkies like us. Congressman Al, you'd agree with it? Absolutely. And, and what I would like to do is, is excuse me, I've got to get closer to the mic. It's live radio, Congressman. Yeah, I, well, uh, having spent a good share of my life in radio, I had the microphone come to me. Oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. I apologize. I, I low just, budget. I just thought it might be fun to kick this off because you two guys were at both conventions. Correct. Yeah, Jonathan Jonathan covering for Sidewire, I covering for Backroom Politics. Yeah, and, and I just thought that uh, you might have some ideas, some things to say about it that we didn't hear on the radio. And I'd like to begin by asking you this. There was notes of anger in both conventions. Uh, which, which convention do you think was angriest and ha- handled the anger best. John, you want to start off with it? I think there was more intense anger at the Democratic convention, but confined to a very small number of people. Whereas at the Republican convention, I think the dissatisfaction with the nominee was much broader, uh, but didn't, uh, didn't feel angry. Um, sort of resigned, maybe, uh, in some cases. I mean, certainly there was frustration. You've got You've got a party leadership in a, uh, that's caught in an awful place and in a party that is typically pretty hierarchical. Uh, the Democratic Convention, it was, uh, you know, it was like bad the first day for a couple of hours before prime time, and then after that, everything <coughs> seemed, to, seemed to dissipate except for the absolute dead-enders. And uh, I think by the, the virtue of, uh, by virtue of the fact that they were getting shouted down by both sides, by the Clinton people and other Sanders people, it was pretty mitigated in yeah. terms of what you could see in the hall. I, I, I got to agree with John. I, the, the feeling inside 
the Quicken Loans Arena in Cleveland was dramatically different than the feel inside the Wells Fargo Center in Philadelphia. The what you felt in Cleveland was tension. What you felt in Cleveland was, and it wasn't just because of the fact that there was a lot of tension of a lot of people backing out. A lot of very important people did not show up in Cleveland. A lot of people took note of the fact that it was a weaker convention than normal. And what we've seen is that uh, when you got in the arena, they were rabid animals waiting for red meat, and that's what they got. Uh, the energy on the first day in Philly was there was a lot of tension in the room, not helped by the fact of the situation with Debbie Wasserman Schultz and the DNC email hacking. Uh, the announcement that she was resigning that day, it was, it was just almost chaotic to an extent, but they quickly brought it together on days two, three, and four. Right. Um, as far as there was more energy in Wells Fargo. There was more power in Cleveland, I think. I think if I was to add something to that, I would just say, you know, with the on the Democratic side, you had several you have several different reasons for people to be for the Democratic nominee. Some are for her. Some are for extending the Obama legacy. Some are trying to help Bernie Sanders because they really like him. And there's one reason uh, to be against her, which is you really don't like her. Um, and that's and that ended up being smaller than those other big reasons for the vast majority of delegates of people that were there in Cleveland uh, for the Republicans. What I thought was different is uh, there was only one reason that unified all of the Republicans to be for Trump, uh, and that was to be against Hillary Clinton. Right. That, isn't to say, that isn't to say that there aren't people who are pro-Trump, but that was the one unifying theme. So almost by virtue of that, everything that was unifying and everything that thundered through the arena was an anti-message, a negative message. The Democrats had a lot of positive messages that they were able to roll out with at the very least uh, silence from those who didn't agree. Right. Let me ask another question and then I'll, I'll let Justin introduce. We've just almost doubled the size of the people around the table <laughs> while you guys were talking. Uh, the number, not the size. Two big guys at the table were, were here. All you skinny people just came in lately. Uh, my last question is this. Did you just call me skinny? Thank you, Al. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> and for I those of you who haven't realized and haven't listened to us on Block Lock Radio for a year, Bob Hines and Dan Lindner just joined the table. Yeah, and, and Bob is slim, and Dan... Ish. Parts of him are slim. Whoa. <laughs> Some Marco Rubio comment if I ever heard one. Yeah, very true. Finish your thought out. Finish your thought out because we've got a ton of stuff to cover. Yes. And that's this. Which one do you think was better run? And here I'm not talking about political philosophy or anything, but it's, it seemed to me one of them was very ineptly run. There's, and the other one was well, quite... That's, that's the problem now is is the thing about Cleveland logistically Cleveland was tight it was close it was maintained downtown everything was right there and you didn't have to do a lot of traveling a lot of walking you didn't have to do a lot of different things everything logistically in Cleveland was run prudentially was run 
very well in Cleveland. Philly was logistically a nightmare. The Wells Fargo Center is about five miles from downtown where everything was centered. You had to literally take a bus, a train, or an Uber, or a taxi out to Wells Fargo, and the perimeter, the quarantine zone in Philadelphia was much larger than it was in Cleveland. I will tell you, kudos have to go, and John, you and I talked about this several times in Cleveland, the, the, the law enforcement presence in Cleveland, you never felt unsafe, particularly with what had happened the week before in Nice, particularly with what had happened in Dallas. Uh, there were protests. They were quickly contained. They were, they were, for the large part, peaceful. The Cleveland Police Department, the U.S. Secret Service, and law enforcement in the community were fantastic. Philly didn't have the big demonstrated presence that we saw in Cleveland, partially because of the fact that the, that the center was away from downtown. We didn't feel insane, but you did not see the law enforcement presence in Philly that we saw in Cleveland. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, yeah. Cleveland was looked like television. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it looked like there were nine heavily armed officers for every attendee. Right. Um, Philadelphia, but Philadelphia was also a little more spread out, so it might have been more difficult to see. Cleveland was very closely contained. There, there. I, I will tell you. I will tell you. The DNC had a problem, though. The DNC credentialing was horrid. They over-credentialed by a factor of ten. And on the last day, if you didn't have a seat on day four by three thirty, you didn't get a seat. It was a packed house, uh, which is another big difference between Cleveland because on day four, when Trump gave his acceptance speech, there were still empty seats. Not the case with Hillary. There were people lined up in the ring of the Wells Fargo Arena for four hours waiting for one seat to pop up. And it was just, it, it was a remarkable thing to see, but it was just poorly, poorly credentialed. Dan, well, well, I wasn't at the I wasn't at the the uh, convention in Philadelphia. In the past, uh, Democrats have notoriously have ticketing issues because the, the, we want to bring a lot of people into the crowd. However, I should say, based on what I've heard from the contrast between Philadelphia and Cleveland, there were no empty seats in Philly at any point during speakers, and that could have been by design in order to have the the, the, the seat fillers ready to go. They, they, you didn't, there was no need for seat fillers. That was the amazing thing. Right. There was there was there was no seat filling to be had. Those there were going to be butts in those seats on day four when Hillary gave her acceptance speech, and it was no, absolutely no, no, amazing. No, the, the candidate giving their acceptance speech—that's a given. But for all the other nonsense that goes on during conventions, filling seats is always an issue. Yeah, yeah, uh, I, I agree. But I, I I would say if you were to put them side by side. I would give the advantage to the Dems. The Dems had a better convention. And we'll take that advantage. You will. Yeah. Absolutely. Carl Tubin. Yes. <clears throat> Let's talk about security. Uh, in the Pennsylvania Center, there were uh, <clears throat> about 48 tables uh, <clears throat> from from Planned Parenthood to, to uh, Vietnam Veterans of America. We got the first table and to all other groups. <clears throat> Every... 15, 20 minutes, 
state troop, four or six state troopers walked the halls, and they did that for four days. Yeah. And um, um, because they were they were very very concerned, presidents are going to be there, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Uh, and everything was really really tight. Um, um, as far as the credentials were concerned, I I uh, had a deal with the uh, chairman of the uh, outreach program to get the Vietnam veterans uh, rooms and 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 uh, credentials, etc. Credential committee decided to give us four credentials for seven people, and uh, because of my relationship with this very young woman who I thought was a lot older when I met her. Um, that, that, that's Carl. 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 We're going to be talking about somebody with a problem that says stuff like that. Thank goodness you have parenthoods. She was able to supply us on Tuesday and Thursday. With what? With four additional credentials. Oh, okay. Not condoms. I thought this was Carl Tubin after hours. <laughs> and the other thing that we did on on uh, Thursday is we made sure that we were on buses by about four o'clock. Yeah. And we went out there and we got you know good seating. Yeah. Not the best, but good seating. Yeah. So. I, I I will I will I will tell I will definitely tell you the advantage has to go to the Dems as far as total package goes. The Dems had a better convention. They had a better convention the minute Katy Perry walked out. <laughs> That's actually they had a better convention when Carol King started singing at four o'clock. I mean, when you look at it, we were joking while we were in Philly. The Republicans had Chachi. They had Scott Bayo. The Dems had Carol King, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Katy Perry, Boys to Men. They the list of I thought it was Michael Jordan. Oh no 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 no! Uh, Donald Trump gets confused. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was it, it was. It, it was just a, a really energetic and brought everybody together. I mean, the unifying two force. presidents, two first ladies, a vice president, a vice presidential candidate. Yeah. The senators that are leaders of the party. I mean, the entire women, Democratic. The entire Democratic Senate women on one stage. Right, right. And we had Chachi. <laughs> let me, so, and then, let, let, I'd, let, rather, I'd rather respect that four years from now the Republicans will do a better job. Well, we I, hope so. Actually, the interesting thing is, is that there, both both uh, parties send a group of people to the other other's convention. It's been done for years, yeah. and it's to share ideas and to see what they do that can improve uh, each other's conventions. Yeah. Uh, but I have been to. This is my 13th Democratic convention, and. <clears throat> The best sorry. one. The best one was 1960 because it was it was new and exciting, etc. The, the next best one was 1984. Oh, okay. And then this one ranked very high in my in yeah. my uh, in my estimation. Yeah, it, it was largely it was largely looked at as very successful. But oh, wait, what about when Obama descended from the heavens into the Roman <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and they had and they had the young Democrats. 
throwing rose petals on the stage yeah. as Caesar returns yeah. from Rome. That was Trump. Yeah, no. <laughs> the skies parted. Right, yeah. Chorus of angels. Not it was amazing. amazing. Not I mean, not, not, not in Cleveland. So anyway, enough about the dumpster fire of Cleveland. Uh, let's 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 get into what's been happening just in the past 48 hours. We cannot yeah. make this stuff up. Yes, yes. Okay. I will tell you, as somebody who saw it, John and I both saw it, and Carl, I believe you saw it too. We saw the uh, the parents of a deceased Muslim army captain who lost his life in uh, in uh, in Afghanistan. A a gold star family give what I thought was probably one of the most moving speeches I've seen at a political event ever. It was direct. It was them speaking from the heart. It was an absolute fantastic. So what does Donald Trump do? Yeah. Tweets. Donald Trump tweets and starts going after the Khan family. Okay. Dan Lipner, I want to start with you because I'm going to throw you the softball. Could you imagine in a million years that you would be given a gift like this? Not only did you get the convention bump, which was fantastic, because let's be honest, the Trump speech was the only political speech at a convention that got negative numbers. He, he literally gives you guys a Christmas gift in July and August by going after this Gold Star family. Well, it's not just a Christmas gift. It keeps on giving because oh, yeah. he can't apologize and, or just leave it be. It's truly remarkable. I mean, I saw Mike Pence's statement uh, at an event yesterday. And Pence gave the appropriate political mealy mouth answer, which is the the uh, Captain Khan was an American hero who died in service to his country. I respect the thoughts of his family, and they're entitled to their thoughts. The end. Yeah. <laughs> Trump, on the other hand, went not only wait, wait, off, wait, wait, wait. Uh, I'll, 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 I'll well, just my no, no, but, statement also blamed. Barack Obama for the death of uh, for, for the of death Kasim of Khan. Oh, Captain Khan. Who are you, Khan? Yeah. Uh, hey, Mon- yeah. Pence said that. Yeah, no, Pence said uh, no. It's the same statement, and Pence did throw a punch there. But it is worth noting, it is not outside of the realm of politics to even give that answer. What Trump managed to do is, while ignoring the sacrifice of the son until it was followed up on, went after the father. And then took a swipe at the mother for simply standing there yes. in in silence with dignity, and it was it was not a, not even a thinly veiled attack. It was clearly a well, she's a subservient Muslim woman implication in in his statement, which was just remarkable. And Congressman Al, it seemed to me that, and the reaction has been very negative, and I think probably is the first uh, Trump blast that has turned back on him badly. And I'm, it's also one of the very few times that he wasn't attacking a politician. Politicians are easy to attack. I mean, uh, people, politicians rank somewhere around used car salesmen and lawyers, uh, you know, when you, with the, the general public. Uh, but then you, I, th- I think used car salesmen, Use car salesmen reach. Uh, I take offense to that, but uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, as well they might. The, the point is that this is the first time he took on somebody who wasn't a politician, and uh, I think his people 
the people that really support him love the, the kind of thing he does because he's picking on people that are generally not liked, not trusted by the general public. When he took on the cons, he took on real people. And uh, I think that's the reason that he but, is suffering but, from it. But Bob, he took, on Bob family, he took on an American family who had a great loss and was Jeff, an asshole about it. I mean, well, we walked Yeah, no, no, but, but Bob, here's the question I have for you: is the Republican Party is literally held their nose, swallowed the bitter pill that is Donald Trump, yes. and yet they continue to see, they continue to see Donald Trump step on himself in a way that has been unseen in presidential politics in modern times. Number one, how hard is it to be a surrogate for Donald Trump? And number two, why are we not seeing more Republican leadership back away from Donald Trump? Well, first of all, I think you're going to see more of it because I think there are a lot of people, I know a few, who are just absolutely at the black very, very upset, very unhappy. I don't know if there won't be, I'm not sure, I, I can't say I know for sure, but I would not be be surprised if in the in the, in the relatively near future, you're going to see some senior Republicans um, speak out, and maybe even maybe even uh, you know on on radio or television. There will be, there will be a judgment about this. Yeah, yeah, this, this is, is, after this, this election, there this will be a judgment. Yeah. This is not no. were you from McCain and I didn't like him, no, or you Romney and I didn't like him. This is a much different thing, and yeah. these Republicans will be judged yeah. later on yeah. by whether they stood with Donald Trump in the end. They profile and courage if they stand up against him. No, but, but, here's, but here's the question for you, John, is you have people who have, who have been reluctantly for Trump, i.e., uh, Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan, i.e., Senate Majority Leader, Mitch McConnell. Why is it that they do not turn around and say, this is crossing a line. We cannot support him. I you think know they're the protecting that because they're, You know the answer. The answer to that is that they are in a horrible, horrible place as leaders of a political party that has nominated somebody that they find not just offensive but deleterious to the health of that political party. When Do you, do you remember any time in which an official leader of a party – a House Minority Leader, Majority Leader, Senate Minority, Majority Leader, Speaker of the House, went against the party's nominee. It's it's never happened uh, when, in my lifetime. When was there a Donald Trump type nominee? Well, no, I'm not, I'm not no, saying no, no, it no. won't happen. I'm just saying there's a reason it hasn't happened yet. Well, no, I, no, hold, hold, hold I think on. there's another reason, and that is I think they're trying to protect the down ticket. No, 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 hold, hold, it, it, hold on. Dan Littner and then Carl Tuba. This is an issue that's bigger than that. It's been haunting the Republican Party now for quite a few years. I mean, you can we can run down the list of unfortunate nominees. Top it off with the "I am not a witch woman," uh, the Senate candidate that could have knocked off Harry Reid six years ago, but she was talking about bullseyes and guns and tang doctors and chickens. Don't forget Todd Aiken. Uh, uh, Todd Aiken, the legitimate, legitimate rape. Legitimate rape. I mean, and these are Senate seats. I mean, House the House is a different beast, and we're used to the House being a little bit of romper room. But Senate seats are taken seriously. And for the Republican Party, who has played footsies with the lunatic fringe of just the American population for a, definitely a little too long for me, and I'm guessing a little too long for the Republicans around this table, the 
problem is. I'm sorry, I'm here. Go away. The problem is that those folks have have taken some scalps. I mean, the reason Mike Lee is in the Senate is because the very conservative Senator Bennett from from Utah was taken out in the during the the not the not with the primaries the the party convention in in Utah. I mean, this has been an issue ongoing with a rabid base, and worse yet, they've been fed nonsense to justify all of their actions going forward. Carl Tubin. Now, we, we have sat around this table for almost a year saying that you know, Donald Trump is, has done it. He's going to go down in the polls. And every time we said it, he went up in the polls. This is, I believe, could be the starting of his tumble because <clears throat> this thing isn't going to be forgotten. Uh, and, 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 you know... When you look at the Arab population, you think they're going to vote for Trump? I have, I, I, I just feel it in my heart. You think they're going to vote for Republicans? No, but, but here's, yeah, here's yeah, the problem. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, but he, he, no, no. But here's the problem: is is you look at Donald Trump, the head of the party de facto as the presidential nominee for uh, the party, he turns around and does all this stuff. How does how does the Republican Party protect the down ballot in the party going forward? I mean, you've got the Senate, which could be in jeopardy, several House seats that could be in jeopardy, and those are some very key Republican seats that we're looking at, John Allen. I mean, the, the concern has got to be that Clinton breaks away from Trump and that depresses Republican turnout down ballot. Yeah. But that's got to be the big the big concern is that you're looking at a larger right now you're looking at three, four, five, six, seven points for Clinton, depending on depending on the poll. If that gets to a point where you've got a double digit gap, uh, that could be a disaster for Republicans down ballot. Well, nine points separating this morning. Right, right. Uh, and, and, that, and that's and that's just forty eight hours after the convention. That's the bump. We haven't seen the fallout yet Let from the point here. Thinking, no, well, exactly. Every, John Allen. Uh, every time Donald Trump gets close to Hillary Clinton, he picks a fight with somebody who's more sympathetic <laughs> and, and goes flaming downward. And I don't know what that is about him. I don't know if he's choking. I don't know if he's sabotaging himself. The, he went after the Mexican judge the last time he pulled even. It was during when the Democrats still had their primary ongoing. He had become the, the de facto nominee, and he caught up to Clinton, and then, boom, he goes after a judge, and his numbers start plummeting, right? His response to Orlando in that period as well started plummeting. Now we see this with, uh, with the Khan family. Uh, this guy's – he doesn't like being in a place where he might actually be president. And it I don't know if that's like he doesn't really right. want to be president. That's, that's, what occurred, that's what's occurred to me right. over the weekend. Well, all right. Hold on. Before you go, Dan, I'll give you first word on this when we come back from the break. Because uh, now that we're on Blog Talk Radio again, we got set breaks we got to do. So we're going to come back to the break. You're going to have first up on this. We're going to continue our coverage of the presidential campaign post-convention. We're here live at Shelley's Back Room, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. This is Backroom Politics, live on Blog Talk Radio again. Remember, you can join the conversation, 657-383-0419. Again, 657-383-0419. We will be back in three minutes. Stay with us.
You know, Shelly's Backroom has been hosting Backroom Politics for seven years. Seven years. It's still unbelievable we've been doing it that long. But make no mistake about it, Shelly's Backroom is one of a kind in Washington, D.C. Shelly's is a comfortable retreat for cigar aficionados and those who simply want to unwind. The casual but elegant space features soft lighting, cozy couches, and overstuffed chairs. Shelly's Backroom is a cigar-friendly establishment, but the state-of-the-art air purification system keeps the atmosphere comfortable for smokers and non-smokers alike. Sit back and enjoy yourself while chatting with friends or watching one of the eight high-definition TVs, or come by any Tuesday, enjoy your favorite cigar or one of the signature cocktails, and watch how Backroom Politics is made. Convenient to public transportation and the sites of the nation's capital, Shelley's is easily dividable to accommodate intimate gatherings or large-scale special events. Shelley's Back Room, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. As Bob says, it's the place to be.
And we're back here live at Shelley's Back Room, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Congressman Al is absolutely amazed that we put some production into this. Yeah, I, I am, but I'm also pleased that Basie is back. <laughs> hey, uh, we're continuing our coverage of uh, post post dumpster fires 2016. Uh, we're doing the uh, general election. 98 days from today, we go to the uh, ele- we go to the voting booths to elect our new president, and this literally has become a who sucks less election, and apparently. Who sucks less right now by nine points? Hillary Clinton. Uh, Dan Lipner. So where we left off as far as where, where Trump's, the, the Trump's numbers and how low low could go versus uh, what it's going to look like in the general election, I think that's the big question. And unfortunately, the press is partially to blame for this, for not actually uh, polling outside of the primary electorate as well as who the general election electorate was. Because while Trump's numbers in the primary were a clear plurality, I won't even say majority of Republicans, but a clear plurality of Republicans, that plurality of Republicans voting in the primary still is nowhere near who the people are that vote in the general election. And as far as how Trump has handled himself and even his inability to pull back from from the con disaster is evidence because he takes his cues from the audience in front of him. And the, the landscape is littered in, in history with people who, who spoke to a crowd in front of them, and they get those cheers. And how could anyone possibly dis- disagree? Because obviously a microcosm of the world is in the room in front of me, and that represents everyone. But, but you know, the, the funny thing about it now is Congressman Al is when we look at where Donald Trump is focusing his attacks, we look at Khan, uh, we look at, um, he threw a mother with a baby out of an event that he held in Virginia earlier today. He literally has Was no idea. Uh, we don't know. We don't know. It might have been. But, but what strikes me is, when Hillary comes at him, the, I think that one of the greatest parts of Hillary's speech at the convention was when she started pointing out, you want to, you know, Donald Trump, you want to make America great again. How about starting to make things in America again? And went on about the ties, the shirts being made overseas, his, furniture. his furniture being made overseas, his suits, everything being made outside of, including Mexico and China. Yet he had an opportunity to come back, and he just misses the boat. Is, is this a situation where not only the candidate is completely politically unsavvy, but the entire campaign just can't get their act together? Well, I can't tell whether whether the people around Trump are intimidated by him or whether they all agree with him. If they're all as insane as he appears to be. I don't know, but it seems to me that the same people would have pivoted by now. Bob Hines and Carl Tubin. Just a little bit of a change of some subject. Uh, We're having so down, much fun yeah. with this one. No, but look, <laughs> look, at the, look at the down ballot problem the Republicans have. They've got somebody running for president who is saying stupid things every day. And he's getting, his percentage of support is going down. 
by the week. The fact of the matter is, you can, you can begin to say, can the House be in danger? Which would be amazing. Is the Senate in danger? Absolutely. The Republicans could have a terrible election this year because who of their nomination is, is the kind of a person who is so totally, clearly not a presidential type of person. Carl Tubman. I think that he gets on a podium uh, and, and he starts talking, and as things come into his mind, he goes off, off, the, uh, off, off the, the rail, off the script, and he starts, you know, talking about anybody and everybody. Yeah, but Carl, there's one problem with that comment, is he goes off the script, is your comment. The reality is, there's no script there. This is a guy who doesn't go on any script. He just goes off and wings it. Every single time. I don't get it. That was a great I, can't, I, can't line. I can't understand. Manafort comes in and says, let, let Trump be Trump. But, I, but he, he has to see what's going on, and he has to see that he's throwing this but, whole thing away. And why can't he go and talk to him and say, you got to do this or that or the other, or the children? I, I don't know. But John Allen, this has got to be fearful. In particular, the one target who's got a big bullseye on him right now is Paul Ryan, who has a competitive race in his home district back in Wisconsin. Could Paul Ryan lose his seat and his speakership because of Donald Trump? Certainly possible. Um, Donald Trump just said today, a few minutes ago, in an interview with the Washington Post, that he's not ready to endorse Paul Ryan yet. Um <laughs> Um, you know, so the man who seeks to unify the Republican Party. I mean, one thing about unifying a party is you've got to be the person that gives away stuff to unify things. I mean, that's, that's the whole job of the presidency is giving away little bits here and there to get things done. The way done. he's unifying the party is destroying him. it. Anybody but him is out. But, 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 but John, we, we just saw uh, Congressman Charles Dent out of Pennsylvania say that he's voting for Hillary. We know. Did he say um, that? Yeah. Yeah, he just said it on CNN. Yeah, yeah. We just saw, we, we just heard that uh, Jeb Bush's chief advisor say that she was going to vote for Hillary. She's not the Republican Party. She's not the Republican Party. On top of the fact that you've had notable conservatives, George Will, and the list keeps getting bigger and bigger. Bob Hines, are we literally seeing the Republican Party self-destruct? I think what you can see, because... There's, there's two choices for the leadership of the Republican Party right now. Either they disavow this person and say, screw it. We're not, you're, you're, we're not supporting you anymore. Unless they don't do something like that, I think they will. They could go down the two. Congre- Congressman Al. Well, it occurs to me, it, it's interesting <clears throat> that, in a sense, that Trump isn't the first one. The first one was the governor of Alaska, Sarah Palin, Sarah Palin, who was also unbelievable, but she was running for vice president. And the man that was running for president is sane. And he was able to kind of, I think he was hurt badly by it, but he was able to preserve himself. But uh, the, the Republicans have this ability for some reason to support crazy people in high uh, in high office and uh, it, it's, it's bound to hurt him. <clears throat> Go ahead. 
but in part it's because of the base and the the now gone Roger Ailes from Fox News. And I know I've attacked Fox News a lot on this show, but when you have the by far highest rated cable news network, not anymore. That it was. Who's who's higher rated? CNN now? is now taking over Fox. Outstanding. Uh, but spewing absolute nonsense. It's one thing for the infotainment. It's something else entirely to be spreading stories that's feeding the worst fears of an already off-kilter base to suggest that the Kenyan Muslim socialist is in the White House, the horrors of Mexican and South American immigrants are, dro- are, are leaping over the walls of, like, like a flood that cannot be possibly stopped. During that, Christmas. That, the, that as the Republican convention would suggest that the blood is running down the streets because <clears> the country <throat> is unsafe. There are terrorists. ISIS is in all 50 states. Uh, some of the stuff was both from Fox News and or the Republican convention. There, you cannot distinguish the two. But here, here's my question, though. And, and John Allen, I know we talked about this in, in Cleveland. Donald Trump picks Mike Pence as his number two. Uh, Mike Pence, there was uh, probably a slim chance he was going to win re-election in his home state of Indiana. He comes on as the vice presidential candidate for Donald Trump. Has Mike Pence literally put a nail in his political coffin? We shall see. <laughs> I think it depends to some degree on how he comports himself on the campaign trail. But honestly, I would, and people think I'm crazy for saying this, I would much rather be Ted Cruz right now than Mike Pence. Oh, absolutely. I think Ted look, a lot of people in Washington hate Ted Cruz. He'll run again for president. Washington will oppose him again. And he's got a very good chance, I think, of being in, in the place of being. I was the one guy that refused to get on the Trump bandwagon for a variety of reasons, including some of the ones that the establishment no, but, but 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 Bob Hines, the, I, I, the other I, I, hold on, the other guy, the other guy that stands a really good chance right now is the governor of Ohio, John Kasich. John Kasich did not go to the RNC in his home state. He definitively will not come out and back Trump and has started a, a, a verbal attack on each other, Trump and Kasich. Does John Kasich look like the next possible savior of the party? I think when all the, uh, the disaster is piled up in the next few, few months, I suspect that Kasich is going to be the guy that most, not maybe not most, but a substantial majority of professional Republicans Governors, senators, whatnot, are going to be going to be looking to him for leadership. He's the one guy out there that isn't insane. I mean, it's essentially either <laughs> insane. Or, oh, all or, the Republicans are insane. That's not true. That it's is so not true. Or, or silent. He's the one that, that that I think would be able to say. You know, I can put the party back together after this disastrous election. In fairness to Kasich, and we've been saying this for a while, not only did he speak out early and firmly against against Trump, but also substantively. When Trump initially had his uh, throw all the immigrants out and Muslim ban, uh, it was a chief Kasich advisor that, or a Kasich associated pact that that rolled out the famous, you know, first they came for the for the, the train, tradesman, and I was not a tradesman, and then they came for me, and nobody was 
So that was a very powerful statement. It didn't get much, much uh, tread or much traction uh, for the overall electorate, but people who were paying attention noticed. While everyone else was playing political QT, Kasich stepped up early saying, this is wrong. And, and he deserves credit for that. However, <laughs> Kasich outside of Ohio, and Trump is, Trump is the, the head of the lunacy train. He, he is being backed up by literally millions of people who support him and think what he's saying is a good idea. Those folks need to be tamed. And I don't know if the somewhat soft-spoken or moderately soft-spoken governor of Ohio's voice is strong enough to tame the lunacy. Bob Hines. What I think is when the lunacy when the lunacy blows up the election for the Republican Party, Kasich is going to be standing strong. No, but Trump has already laid the groundwork. In the last two days, he's saying the general election might be fixed. Which, by the way, if you want to talk about scary things for American democracy, suggesting that the presidential election is going to be stolen, and it's the candidate himself saying that. Not that it was stolen. But that it will be stolen. Yeah. So, so delegitimizing American elections. So the, yeah, that's true. So the well-armed lunatics that wanted to carry the, their assault weapons to the Republican convention in uh, in Cleveland, what do we think they're going to do that first weekend after Trump loses? Do you think they're going to go, obviously we've been wrong. We obviously need to tame our words and and think more thoroughly and not use nasty language to President-elect Clinton. <laughs> Hold on, Carl Truman. Yeah, I think, in my mind, if, if, if uh, I, I think I agree with what John started to say, that if Pence does well on the, on the campaign trail, and he's very, very conservative, he, will, he could possibly be in that mix. But, um, but he's not. He's still got stuff to atone to. He's still got to make amends the decisions he made in the governor's mansion as governor of Indiana. He's still got a lot of people that he pissed off here in Congress. Uh, I, I don't see I don't see Penn surviving this. I'll take it back. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I really don't. John Allen, you had a thought. I just wanted to ask what the folks who remember him, because I do not, and I apologize for putting it that way, uh, how, how Donald Trump compares to George Wallace uh, and the, the the sort of uh, anger that he whipped up and the, the bigotry that he whipped up and the uh, law and order slogan that he had uh, that Richard Nixon eventually co-opted. Do they compare at all? I think, Congressman? <coughs> I think that Donald Trump lies a hell of a lot more than George Wallace did. George Wallace would say terrible things, but uh, they were usually opinions and without propping his opinions up with a whole bunch of make-believe boogeymen that he could throw out there. Bob Hines? I think that this guy is pretty close to what we're talking about. This is what, this, this guy is dangerous. I've ever seen anybody who's a major party candidate for president or any other place. Carl Tubin. I, I, can, I agree. I, he, he, he's a divider and uh, he, he, the remarks that he's he, he makes about people and uh, and religions and, and, and all. And I don't not remember as bad. George Wallace doing any of that. Well, yeah, no, he George, George Wallace 
with segregation and, yeah. and all that. Yeah. He's not as bad as George Wallace, but he's getting there. But, 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 but hold on. If I could circle back around, because politics is politics, and it's, it's easy to do these say things from the sidelines. So Governor Wallace, without question, a segregationist and had some horrible things, but he was also a populist. He was, he was governor of Alabama. Um, and along with that, and I was told the story, since I am not old enough to know this firsthand, the after... Uh, Keep rubbing it in. After, <laughs> after Governor Wallace, at one of his earlier points in his political career, and I will not use the exact words he used, he said, I will never be out N-word again uh, in a campaign that he lost. This is the, the fact of life in politics in the South. Uh, Governor Long in Louisiana, who, who was very pro, pro-African-American, pro-Black, had to do lots of interesting things in order to accomplish what he did. And there's a, a scene in the movie Blaze that I've been told actually happened. Um, what an important scene in the movie about uh, when the governor, when uh, African-American doctors and nurses were unemployed in Louisiana and they and they approached the governor and said, "How are you going to make this fix this? We we deserve to have jobs." And Governor Long went to it, the the black the black hospital in one of the major cities in Louisiana, and walked in and threw the most racially ugly statements out there that I cannot believe these white doctors and nurses are treating after are treating these these black patients. Next day, doctors and Black doctors and black nurses had jobs at that hospital. Politics is difficult, and I'm and by no means condoning the process in which they got there. But in the case of Governor Wallace, and who, by the way, also came back and atoned for his sins at the end of his life, Trump has none of that. There is no greater good at play. There is no policy at play. It's insanity. At play. We also said that Jimmy Carter who uh, played the race card to win the uh, governor's primary yeah. in, uh, in Georgia, and then immediately gave what's got to be one of the most progressive inaugural addresses in the history of the nation, right. much less the history of the state of Georgia uh, on race, uh, as he turned his eyes toward the White House. Yeah, that's right. I was just going to say, because he knew at that point where he wanted to go. They only have one term in Georgia. Right. Well, yeah. well, <laughs> well, you know what, I, what I'm thinking about is that the down, ballot, the down ballot, the down ballot people in the Republican Party, if things keep going the way Trump is doing it now, are going to be seriously, seriously in danger. Instead well, of instead of having uh, control of the Congress, we could lose the Senate and the House. Right? Yeah, the House would be hard to lose, but we could. I mean, and it will be a disaster. I, absolutely, <laughs> but there's a bigger problem though. Also, in the Trump camp is. Donald Trump's absolute inability to comprehend what is happening in the world today. In an interview with George Stephanopoulos, George Stephanopoulos asked him about uh, the Russian Russian situation in the Ukraine, where Donald Trump came out and said, uh, and I quote, Russia never goes into Ukraine. Which, when they're done that, yeah, which, which, which they're sitting right <laughs> in the middle. Which George Stephanopoulos, to his credit, advised candidate Trump, yeah, they're kind of already there. They could Crimea, and by the way, Crimea is in Ukraine. He's <laughs> either ignorant or he's a puppet of Putin. No, no, we, who, we, who also we, says who the also Russia has not gone to Ukraine. Both could be true because 
in the process of taking a shot at and attempting to take a shot, the, the attempt is an important thing, attempting to take a shot at the Democratic VP candidate, Trump promptly said Tom Kane was a terrible governor of New Jersey. Wow. <laughs> yeah, we're that yeah, yeah. You can't make this No, no, no. Tom Kane so was a former, a former governor of New Jersey. <laughs> right. He Googled, it's like, oh, yeah, T-something, and Googled Tom Kane, supposed to be Tim Kane, yeah. got it wrong. And this is present, like, real-time errors. With today, 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 this is the best of all. Donald Trump was given a purple heart by somebody who had, uh, who had received it for his actions, uh, actions in war. And Donald Trump's response was, I always wanted a purple heart. Yes. Yes. Unaware that you have to be wounded in war to get a purple yeah. heart. I always wanted one of these. Like, you just got that out of a cracker jack box. Well, I mean, it, I was like, nobody's ever wanted a purple heart. Yeah. You I mean, not until after the injury. Nobody seeks it. Nobody goes into the military thinking, or nobody walks around going, you know what? I would like to have a purple heart. I, also, I, I, Donald not, Trump has attacked people who have been shot not, down for being shot down. I, I am sure Donald Trump thinks he deserved a purple heart for the bone spurs, which he, by the way, cannot remember which, which foot that they, they were involved in that no, got him the no, deferment no. from Vietnam. But aside from that, his doctor currently has some of that. I love some draft doctors. No, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute. He got the Purple so. Heart. He thinks he needs the Purple Heart because I've created thousands and thousands of jobs. Tens of thousands of jobs. At great personal expense. That's right. He's That's given as sacrifice. much as the Khan family. Yeah. That's sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah. The Khan. Yeah. The Khans have lost their son in defense of national security, and Donald Trump has sacrificed <laughs> just as much by building build, apartment buildings and casinos with his name on he it. Didn't right. this is, golf ball he didn't want to play the golf ball. By the way, why that's not on time here is a thing. <laughs> That might, I might actually take credit for that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he lost one. He lost one. He sacrificed his handicap. He, he, he would never admit to losing the golf ball, though. <laughs> 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 the golf was rigged. The golf was what comes to now? The gopher is a democratic plant. Congress now, I'm wondering, when did a hyena get in here? Exactly, that too. we gotta, we got to control that. That spikes the levels on the audio. But Congress now, you, you, you have been around politics most of your adult life. You are a former eight-term member of Congress. This has got to disturb you that we are possibly looking at a situation where somebody who is this out of touch with the world around him. This is a man who literally lives in a bubble, could be the leader of the free world. How do we get our arms wrapped around that? Why, why would we want to? We may not have a choice. The world might not be, free, or the United States might not be the leader of the free world anymore. <laughs> <laughs> We might be the leader of the, the third answer to the world question world I think you're asking is, is uh, how, how do we proceed in, in, in future elections if uh, <clears throat> let, me, let me gather my thoughts. <clears throat> Donald Trump can destroy the Republican Party. If elected, he could destroy the country. Uh, and he has no idea what he's doing. Now, 
somebody, he didn't get there by himself. You know, there's a whole bunch of Americans, and this, I think, is, 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 is as scary as Donald Trump is. The number of people who think he's right, the number of people who think that he would be a good president, the very fact that he's only nine points behind Hillary Clinton as of this morning uh, is scary as hell. There are a whole bunch of folks who really also do not understand issues, don't know about issues, are uneducated about politics. And they're going to be around after Trump leaves the scene, and that's scary. Actually, it, it just dawned on me while, while uh, Congressman Al was saying this, that if the Republican Party really wanted to be bold and smart, uh, it will cost them this election, but line up hard against Gary Johnson, well, for Gary Johnson and Senator and, 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 and Governor Bill Wells. And Governor Wells. Two perfectly reasonable. I mean, I mean they're, two perfectly reasonable former governors of reasonably sized states. I, yeah. I, mean, I mean, they're libertarians. The odds of them winning are, are, are low. However, there is an alternative, both of which are credible. The Green Party candidate is not at remotely credible. Uh, she's insane. She's anti-Wi-Fi, anti-vaccine. She's nuts. But Gary Johnson, for the first time in a while, the Libertarian Party has actually put both a credible uh, presidential nominee and vice presidential nominee out there, and they're going to be on all 50 on the ballot in all 50 states. There is a place for the Republican organization to go, leave Trump behind, say, you want to do this on your own, fine. This is yours. You got here on your own. Kudos. Good luck. You gain the rest of the way on your own. You know, along that line, we just got uh, an email comment sent to us, uh, justin at backroompolitics.org, if you want to comment that way. Uh, Joe says, after the Republican Party is decimated this year, its radical element will become more strident and powerful within it. The party organization will become less able to move its uncontrolled, quote-unquote, chemtrail element, <laughs> and the party as such will remain bereft of real leadership at least for a decade, which, i got to tell you something, is really, really something scary. We're going to take a quick break. It's the top of the hour. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back... We're going to talk about the bad 48 hours that Hillary Clinton had because she hasn't gotten unscathed after her little, uh, her little event in Philadelphia. This is Backroom Politics Live from Shelley's Backroom, 1331 What's that? I didn't get that email. You didn't get that email? Yeah, she had a bad 48 hours, too. Not as bad as Donald Trump. We can't make this stuff up, but we gotta be, we got to be somewhat We're fair and bad. Make up something about we'll make up Hillary something. Well, no, she, apparently Hillary does her own good job about making stuff up. Uh, we'll be back in three minutes. Stay with us. You know, everybody thinks of Shelley's back room as a cigar spot in Washington, D.C. You know what the reality is? It is the cigar spot in D.C. Where else can you grab a great cocktail made by world-renowned bartenders? Or where else are you going to get the finest cigar list of any restaurant in all of Washington, D.C.? And then the great food. You come for the food. It can be the campfire wings, 
one pound of roasted, not fried, well-seasoned, marinated jumbo chicken wings with choices of Shelly's honey mustard or blue cheese or ranch dressing. These are award-winning wings. That's why you come to Shelly's. It's the whole package. You can drink, you can smoke, have great conversation with your friends, and have a great food menu. Shelly's Back Room, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. You know what? It is the place to be. This is an out-and-out lie. 
they gave her four Pinocchios for this. She could Eskimo kiss Putin if they licked them a real time. This is why we like having you on the show, John. Uh, <clears throat> his one-liners are better than mine. I know. I, I, trust me. I love the fact it's great. Dan Lipner, Hillary Clinton has went into Philadelphia with a credibility problem. Just when you thought she's on the brink of saying, you know what, she's kind of likable, I can actually get on board with this, she pulls something like this. What is it about Hillary that just does not grasp the idea is you can't spin this this badly and expect to win? Well, I actually did do a little follow-up on this, and as, as far as what she said and, and parsing it, and so... I will she give didn't you. No, no, no. She spun it one in. So the so the the Clintons, both Bill and Hillary, phenomenal lawyers. And as far as their skills at and part of being a good lawyer is being able to parse words and do that thing. However, 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 in that same process, forgetting that the court of public opinion when you're talking to people is very different from that which is in the courtroom or an investigation. So in the narrowest of worlds, that whether or not Hillary lied about these things, I'm sure in her mind she was thinking, and her aides probably coached her to say, of course I did not lie to any investigator, which is true. However, what but that's not what she said. I, I understand. I, I understand. But this, this is the issue with the Clintons trying to be too cute by half. The, the correct answer is one she actually gave a while ago. If I had to do over again, I wouldn't. And after having uh, having Director Comey tell tell me I did wrong and tell me very publicly, I would absolutely not do this again. Nor would I have anyone in my administration do this ever again. That is a closed issue. This will not happen in my administration, nor anyone else's administration going forward. I made a mistake, and this is a mistake that will not ever happen again. That would have been the correct answer. I have to yeah, think with something you said, which is you said, how does she not understand uh, that if she does this, she can't get elected president? I think what she's looking at right now is she can do this and get elected president. That her honesty rating is so low that she can continue to lie and not lose anything on it. And meanwhile, Donald Trump is out there doing things that, like, she's a liar, he's nuts, is the sort of, if you were to, like, kind of break it down. So, like, so the worst thing you could say about the two of them are he's, she's a liar and he's nuts, or she's a liar and he's dangerous. I think what she's seeing right now in the polling is he's in a much, much worse place. And it reminds me of Edwin Edwards the uh, former governor of Louisiana who was oh. running for governor again, and he ran against David Duke, and he had been to prison. <laughs> and there were bumper stickers at the time that said, vote for the, the crook, crook. It's, it's important. important. <laughs> Forgot about that. And you, could see, you, could see, you could see people putting one bumper stickers. I'm sure the Clinton campaign will not produce these. But you could see people, Bernie Sanders, people putting on bumper stickers that say, vote for the liar. It's important. I mean, yeah, the Wall Street Journal did just have the line, the Hillary Clinton, at least she's not a sociopath. But, but, but literally, Bob Hines, we have to look at, in November, voting for a narcissistic sociopath or a career-line politician 
what is the lesser of two evils? I'm kind of leaning towards the lying career politician versus the narcissistic sociopath. Particularly because Hillary Clinton has, in fact, got a lot of accomplishment that she has done over the years. You know, lying on the side, she has done many things. She's done big things. That she's done well, and the woman knows how the government works, and she's demonstrated an ability to make it work. Uh, and so I think you're right. When you line it all up, she's got these negatives, but she's got huge positives compared to Donald Trump, who also is a, is a liar. But 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 he, he's and, a, and a tremendous liar. But huge, a big liar. Huge liar. Huge liar. But but, but I John, have the biggest best lies that are ever. But, but John Allen, that has got to make Democratic political operatives absolutely nutty with the fact that here is a woman that on on paper she's been an elected, a very successful elected senator from the state of New York. She was a uh, she was a very active first lady. She was a very vigilant Secretary of State, yet she could be absolutely the worst candidate ever created by humans. Second worst. Wait, who was the first? Donald Trump. Oh, okay. There we go. Oh, okay. so <laughs> Democrats are, the Democrats I talk to are pretty ecstatic right now in terms of the official machinery. Here's why they're ecstatic. For eight years, Barack Obama has ignored the party. He's ignored the party in Congress. Uh, and... Hillary Clinton is going to open Washington for business again. And what that means is she's going to build the Democratic Party across the states. She's doing it right now. She's going to go to Congress. She's going to cut deals with these people. She's going to get them things for their district. And by the way, she's going to talk to Republicans who would never admit that they were in the same room with her. But over the course of her career, you can see time and again her working with Republicans on things. People who were nasty to her in public and worked with her behind closed but, doors. But Carl Tubin, as a former head of the Democratic Party in the state of Maryland, this has got to be good news for you, the fact that she is now putting together a machine that will literally reinvigorate state parties across the nation. Right. <clears throat> and they're raising money and putting money in the states for uh, registration and for, for uh People on the ground. I mean, she—they—they've been all over the place, as far as I can see. Um, they've been organizing everywhere, and it's—it's it's going to make it very hard for Trump, who hasn't done a lot of the organizing at all. He—he—he he, he has wasted time. He—he—he he, he should have been doing organizing and campaign work and and getting people settled and getting people into different states. And he hasn't done it. He's been busy sacrificing himself, building buildings. Yeah, but, but <laughs> and back to Trump. But but here's a question I have for you, Bob Pines: Is is this a matter of Hillary is doing such a good job of reinvigorating the state parties and getting the Democratic Party some uh, some traction where they haven't seen a lot of, i.e., state legislatures, local city halls? Or is this a matter of Donald Trump is just driving the money away and into the hands of Democrats? Well, I would say, I'm sure that Mrs. Clinton has been trying to do just what you said. But it is also true that the best things going for her is Trump is screwing things up so bad for the Republicans. It's terrible. But John Allen, I mean, I'm, I'm looking up here. 
Trump is saying he will not support the leadership of Congress in the House and Senate. Right. Now, if he's the nominee of the party, how can he not be be supportive of the leadership of the party that has elected him? Nobody's elected him. Right. Well, but but go ahead, Dan Littner. But the problem is Donald Trump now stands for things that the Republican Party has historically never stood for. That's right. Considering the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, hardly a progressive organization, (laughs) is coming out is coming out and having a heartburn since they cannot possibly endorse the Republican nominee, they may actually remain silent because their anti-trade position, uh, Trump's anti-trade position, is just so incredible. But but here's the funny thing about this is, this is where we get into political bizarro world. Uh, John Allen, when you look at you have a candidate in Donald Trump, a Republican, that does not swear on Republican trade values. And you have a Democrat that is absolutely pro-trade, has voted TPP, but yet there are several unions of note, including several facets of the AFL-CIO, including the firefighters, including the uh, laborers, who will not back. Clinton because of her pro-trade set. How do they balance it? Well, I think they're making a, a horrible misjudgment for their future. Why? Because the Clintons remember. Really? You think that oh, they... That's for damn sure. Okay. <laughs> they don't remember that Richard Trump got on board and, I don't know, has the Teamsters held back? I, I, I don't know. All right, so they'll remember who got on board and who didn't. Look, what we're seeing in this election, trade ties into this, but it's only a piece of it. We have this incredible populist angst in America right now. We have a, uh, a, at the edges of both parties, a desire to retract from the world. That's all we're hearing, is these loud, angry populist voices, for good reason in some cases, and because they've been misled in others. What we're going to see happen this election cycle, I believe, is that the center is going to hold. You are going to get a Democrat, Democratic president who is not a small-D Democrat, who is not running outside the system or is an outsider, but who is a big-D, major-party Democrat in who, into the Oval Office in this year of populism and, and Washington outsiders. You are going to see somebody who has been moved to the left, who may not go in and do TPP, which may be falling apart anyway, uh, but somebody who is going to continue to try to find trade deals because that's what she believes in. And, and so we're hearing the We saw Occupy. We saw the Tea Party. And what we're seeing is that the majority of the American public or the voting public is not there. And one, one small element with the firefighters. It's worth noting, Trump took a shot at them, too, at, when a fire marshal did not allow two Trump events to be overcrowded. Trump, instead of saying, wow, it's amazing we have so many people, he took a shot at the fire chief for doing his job. Yeah, yeah. the Democrat <laughs> fire marshal. Yeah, the Democrat, yeah. Because, because we know fire marshals are so political these days. Uh, Congressman, now, the, the, the thing that strikes me in all this is, you know, we look at, we, we look at a, a district that you came from, uh, a very pro-trade, a very uh, international trade of huge value into your district, and yet Democrats right now are literally being vilified for that economic boost that happens in your district. Is there a way that they can unbalance or fix the unbalance that's going on here? 
Who who will do that? That's the, well. No, the question is: Can a Democrat in Washington State or California, who's pro TPP, be a true Democrat in the party going forward without doing damage to either themselves or the party? In my state, yes. In my state, you, you got to deal with the machinists union. Machinist Union is Boeing, and it's a vast number of them. And uh, and they sell a lot of planes overseas. Every every person who voted for NAFTA was defeated in the next election. By and I retired that year, or they would have got me because I voted for NAFTA as well. But is that is NAFTA different fundamentally than the TPP vote? In terms of where jobs are going, I mean, NAFTA to me strikes me going off what John's saying is NAFTA to me is good for Washington State because of the trade that happens between Vancouver because of Boeing, be, well, because, of Boeing. Be, because of Boeing, but also because of the close proximity of two major hubs, Vancouver, Seattle. Is there but, logic there? What do you mean? Is there logic there? And I, I don't follow what you mean. Is there logic there? The fact is, the machinist union defies logic on this issue. They, they, they've been brainwashed, I believe, by their national organization. For, for them to be against NAFTA was crazy. Dan because because oh. they build airplanes which are sold all over the world. But you couldn't tell them that. They're also against the ex They believe. They believe. And they told me directly, if if NAFTA passes, Boeing will move to Mexico. Well, <laughs> and I, I asked a Boeing official. I said, what would it cost you to, to build Seattle in Mexico? And they said about eleven billion dollars. Ain't gonna do that. Not gonna do that. But the 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 the, 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 the guys that I used to drink beer with, you know, around the table uh, from the machinist union simply bought the whole anti-trade thing, hook, line, and sinker, and they acted on it. They defeated four good congressmen who agreed with them on everything else except NAFTA. Dan Lipner. Well, and that's the thing between substantive arguments and nonsense arguments, and both sides have them, even though the Republican Party has gone so over the top on just, just the nonsense arguments. So Congressman Al's point about Boeing moving to Mexico is insanity. Um, however, in more recent times, there was an issue, I believe it was with Ford, uh, deciding whether or not to build a plant in North America or Canada. So now you're talking comparable population, comparable education, and comparable skills. And the bigger difference between building in the United States versus Canada was Ironically, healthcare costs. The Canadian healthcare system made it significantly cheaper to employ highly skilled workers in Canada than the United States. So the suggestion of of building a airline plant in Mexico is clearly nonsense. But, but here's, here's but, my question. But here's but, my question to that though. Let me jump on that because when when I hear that, and then I look at Volkswagen building in Tennessee, Honda building factories in South Carolina. Because we're I, there, I, Korea. 
What's that? Because we're their Korea, and we're even Korea's Korea. And we don't even, but, but, we but, don't but, have labor regulations. But, but you got you got Honda, you, you got Japanese manufacturers, Honda, Toyota, you've got uh, Hyundai, the Korean manufacturer. They're all putting plants here instead of building in their own country. Where are they putting them here? Right to work states. And right, and right, right to work, work states. states. Yeah, I mean, so much so that in Tennessee, I mean, Volkswagen was honestly confused. I, I don't know how else to put this. Confused that we would be anti-union in a plant for a Volkswagen plant in Tennessee because they simply wanted to have an organization so labor and management could deal constructively to making the plant run efficiently. They were baffled by the argument. But but, that, but this goes back to my, my point, John Allen, of this being a complete total bizarro The Germans world. with their great record of labor management relations. Currently, they do have even labor but, but But, John Allen, we've literally gone into a bizarro world where we see a pro-trade Democrat and an anti-trade Republican. Yeah, I mean, Bill Clinton was a pro-trade Democrat, and I think Barack Obama's a pro-trade Democrat. He came out today with the, pre- the Prime Minister of Indonesia, or uh, not Indonesia. Um, uh, Who was the last anti-trade president? This is Backroom Politics, live on Blog Talk Radio. We'll be back in a few minutes. Stay with us. This. You know, Shelley's Backroom has been hosting Backroom Politics for seven years. Seven years. It's still unbelievable we've been doing it that long. But make no mistake about it, Shelley's Backroom is one of a kind in Washington, D.C. Shelley's is a comfortable retreat for cigar aficionados and those who simply want to unwind. The casual but elegant space features soft lighting, cozy couches, and overstuffed chairs. Shelly's Backroom is a cigar-friendly establishment, but the state-of-the-art air purification system keeps the atmosphere comfortable for smokers and non-smokers alike. Sit back and enjoy yourself while chatting with friends or watching one of the eight high-definition TVs, or come by any Tuesday, enjoy your favorite cigar or one of the signature cocktails, and watch how Backroom Politics is made. Convenient to public transportation and the sites of the nation's capital, Shelley's is easily dividable to accommodate intimate gatherings or large-scale special events. Shelley's Back Room, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. As Bob says, it's the place to be.
one more time. One more once. Backroom Politics. And we're back here live in Shelley's back room, 1331 F Street in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Getting used to blog talk radio again. Sorry about that little bit of dead air real quick. But we're continuing our discussion on the situation with <clears throat> the situation with um, uh, the presidential election that's going on. Dan, go ahead with your rant. Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to propose to the table that we stop using the phrase "stupid" uh, when when referring to Donald Trump, because in some cases it's just needlessly mean. Uh, I'm a student of politics. I've worked in politics for for actually almost exactly 20 years. Uh, <laughs> professionally and you're not as young as you claim to be (laughs) so and so i understand the the people will say horrible things about somebody to the cameras outside of an office right after a pleasant (laughs) meeting or whatnot because it's the nature of politics but still be able to have a cordial relationship behind closed doors because this is what you actually want to accomplish something that's how you do it that's how you get things done there's a difference between public politics and private politics. But what Donald Trump is doing is truly remarkable. Going after Paul Ryan, who I don't agree with Paul Ryan on policy at all, but I do pay attention to what he says and what he's done. And when he came out and apologized for his makers and takers remark that he said when he was the vice presidential nominee four years ago, by the way, I took note of that. Not that his policy positions will have changed dramatically, but be, at least being conscious of those decisions. When John McCain worked with Democrats and Republicans on immigration, on on change, changes to the campaign finance reform laws, these are things to make note of. 
and John McCain, not to mention an actual war hero, in spite of being shot down in Vietnam, that's not what made him a war hero. What made him a war hero was when he was a prisoner of war in the Hanoi Hilton, and he was offered early release because the Vietnamese said, oh, you're the son of an admiral. We will actually give you early release. He refused Absolutely. early so, release. So that's what makes him a war hero. For Donald yeah. Trump not to recognize that is at all is blasphemy. It is worse. So, so here's the question, though, Bob Hines, is the, the situation with the Republican nominee not backing the House Speaker, the, the number three yeah. person in government, the head of your party right now as an elected official, and to say that John McCain did not do a good job in supporting veterans' issues, at what point does Reince Priebus say, you've got to stop this rhetoric? It is not helping. What needs to be done is the Speaker of the House and the leadership in the Senate need to sit this guy down in a room and uh, they, you know, the leadership of the Republican Party has got to say, look, okay, so you're the leadership out in front in our party. For sure, you are making fundamental mistakes that will damage the party for years. If you he don't doesn't care. Well, if he doesn't care, that I, I, if I were a member of that leadership team in the, the Congress, I would say, blow him up. Endorse Gary Johnson. Yeah, I'd blow him up. But, 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 but does that not take away the situation of the damage could be irrevocable? It would not be irrevocable. It would be so good to get that turkey out of the way. And it would be fine because the professionals would be, again, in a position to put it back together. But here's the problem, though, Bob, is you said the key word. The professionals. Yeah, we're dealing with a, we're dealing with a candidate right now that has gone so populist. In and I'm going to say this, and I'm going to take heat on Facebook and every other social media I'm on. But you're talking about a populist candidate in Donald Trump that has sat there and toned into a uninformed, misinformed, lazy. Stupid electorate. But it's not populist. It's already no. incorrect. Why is that why is that incorrect? Populist implies you are going to do something for the people that are supporting you that are this grassroots frustrated base. They are. All he is doing is lending voice to their bigoted aggravation. Yeah, not actually a solution to fix anything. That is different. I mean the aforementioned Governor Wallace was a populist. Governor Long was a populist. Heck, FDR was a populist. They were working and they played the politics for the base to at least provide them something. Carl Tubin. The the big problem is, on the Republican side, is doing this to John McCain, who has a a neck-and-neck race in Arizona, and Ryan, who evidently has a a race in uh, Wisconsin, Wisconsin, is going to really mess up the Republican Party down ballot. But but just as somebody called to who represents veterans' interests, as as somebody who's involved with a veteran services organization, 
why does your organization not come out and vehemently just attack Donald Trump for his attack on John McCain? Well, there, the press release is probably going out this afternoon. Uh, I don't know if it's about McCain, but it's just in general. Uh, they put out a press release um, anti, anti-Trump. But yet, Donald Trump, Congressman Al, says he's got the support of veterans. Well, he says all kinds of things that are untrue. Let me tell you something. There is an awful lot of stuff that he says. And, you know, he made the statement yesterday uh, with the hiring people and this, that, and the other, and he says, uh, I spearheaded the uh, <clears throat> the wall in New York City, and I'm still getting thank you for it. He 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 did he did a horrible job in, in in putting that together, and he he has promised a lot of veterans organizations a lot of things that they never got, and and you never will get. I never will get. John McCain is not a veterans advocate. I mean, I have a lot of sympathy for him and, and what he's been through, but he really isn't a veterans advocate. When we've gone to him and asked him to support bills, like a toxic exposure bill that would uh, help children and grandchildren of people who've had the toxic exposure, he stayed away. Yeah, but, 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 but Carl, <laughs> in a time right now where we see the lowest number of veterans serving in Congress than ever before right. in the history of Congress, does it not make sense to have a seasoned political leader like John McCain in the Senate? He may not always agree with what you do. He may not always take up the cause, but doesn't it make sense to have a seasoned war veteran in Congress to at least Hold the flag up? Yes, yes, absolutely. And 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 Trump is just knocking that all over the place. But, but, but Bob Heinz, at some point, the veteran services organizations. I mean, Donald Trump today with his Purple Heart garbage. Would, would I mean I'm surprised the Purple the the, uh, the the Purple Heart organizations haven't jumped all jumped over jumped this. All over him. I this is too. crazy. Well, I'd like to see some of those organizations who have uh, ex- excellent uh, histories and good people take a shot at him because he deserves to be taken having a shot at. Congressman Al? I've got a uh, – your favorite part of the show, I've got one. Oh, you do have one today. I've got – Well, we're still one. eight minutes away from that, but go, okay, we're good. Well, if I, if I can follow up. Dan Littner. I think that we need to be thinking beyond this election for what is Donald Trump going to do. And I'll expand on that. Yeah, but, but, but here's the problem with that, Dan Littner, is we can't discount Donald Trump. We, as a collective on this radio show, for the past year have discounted Donald Trump. We cannot discount the fact that there is a possibility that Donald Trump might be elected president. And that is a truly frightening thought. But where I was going, the, this 
the issue versus substance versus nonsense. And not to say that either party has a monopoly on nonsense. We both have, both parties have, have played pussies with the nonsense issues. However, the Republican Party has made nonsense part of the platform that is held up and in front of everything else. And, a- and that nonsense, and I, I frequently go even beyond the show, I frequently go out of my way to have conversations with conservative folks without having being yelling and screaming, but actual substantive conversations. And a conversation I had online that going after somebody who a there was a somebody in Texas who wrote a piece against uh, the Khan family for the statement they made at the DNC, and they were entitled to that statement. And then they followed it up with the nonsense arguments of a party that is completely against veterans and, and spits in the face of people who serve in uniform. And I simply stated, and this is the short-term history of the Democratic Party, Al Gore served in Vietnam. He did not serve in combat, but he served in Vietnam. And John Kerry earned three Purple Hearts in Vietnam. The current vice president's son served in the Army and was deployed. The current vice presidential nominee Son is an active duty Marine who is about to be deployed. No, he's not, no, he's on deployment. He's on deployment now. Excuse me. And to to even go down that world. Pt one oh nine. JFK. No, absolutely. And and that, but to to for the Republican Party and even people that I consider friends that might not be as informed as I would like to buy into the nonsense arguments as opposed to the Real arguments that are legitimate that can separate the party. And, and, and an That's happened, what do we do? But an example happened of the absolute, and I'm going to use this term, ignorance of some in the Republican Party. My party, I cannot tell you, while watching uh, Governor Kane give his acceptance speech as the vice presidential nominee last Wednesday, during his speech, he spoke in Spanish to the Hispanic crowd, which makes sense because Donald Trump has zero numbers in that party, in, in that in that part of the electorate. Also African Americans. African Americans in Ohio, zero. The North Carolina State Party tweets out how dare Tim Kaine wear the national flag of Honduras and speak in Spanish while giving his acceptance speech. This is the North Carolina State Party official Twitter. He was wearing a blue star flag on his lapel because his son is a Marine on deployment overseas in combat. That is the absolute ignorance that drives me up a wall about the party itself. Sacrilege. Not just it's not, it's not sacrilege. Sacrilege no, means sacrilege that, to go after somebody who's anyone who actually has children in combat. Absolutely. No, no, no. Sacrilege means that you have some resemblance of understanding. Ignorance. This is 100% pure ignorance. And it is the politicalization of veterans 
that is just driving me nuts. I, I know I'm supposed to be moderating, no, but, but, but even to this, call out, this is you're, talking about the, you're talking about the organized state party, not not just a voice in a crowd. No, somebody who's actually an able to do that job. Yes, and they see a blue flag, a blue star flag lapel pin, and they call it the national flag of Honduras. Does anybody know what the national flag of Honduras looks like? It looks nothing like a blue star flag. I don't even think there's a star in the flag of Honduras. Don't have a heart attack. Good Lord. Excuse me. Yes, Carl Tubin. Allow me to go moderator again. One of the thing, one of the things that that could possibly happen historically, veterans vote Republican, and and one of the things that could happen that this could put a possibly put a crack in in, in that in that situation where veterans might come over and vote Democratic because of Trump's. Um, uh, Michigan. I mean, look, when I say that this is a an election of who sucks less, <laughs> I cannot stress that factor I, enough. I mean, it's not as though we have a Senate candidate who lost a leg in combat running for Senate in Illinois, who obviously has two legs, two legs, excuse me, both legs in combat uh, in Iraq. Uh, that would be Tammy Duckworth. So obviously she doesn't think highly of the veterans either. Yeah, nor, no. nor does Tulsi Gabbard of Hawaii, an Iraq veteran herself, uh, and, and, a, and, a, and a very astute politician. Not that I agree with her, but... Tulsi Gabbard, who actually took, took a bold step resigning from the DNC in, in response to Debbie Wasserman Schultz acting. So you can actually be principled in your own party. It's worth noting. Not the Republican Party, apparently. I'm called a rhino. Hey, uh, we're going to go and talk about the stuff we love to talk about. It's now my favorite part of the show. In fact, it's now Tell Me a Story, where we talk about news, innuendo, and rumor going around inside and outside the Beltway. Congressman Al, tell me a story. I think that Donald Trump is going to be around for a while. I think he's going to lose the election. He's going to call that election rigged. He is going to make a big deal about how... The presidency was stolen from him, and he's not going to let it happen again. And I think he's going to mount uh, an effort that will keep him uh, alive, alive politically. Um, and uh, he's going to be a problem for all of us, for the Republican Party and the Democratic Party, and for decent government. He's going to be around for quite a while. God forbid. Uh, Bob Hines, tell me a story. Well, I'm so unhappy and flustered to hear my good friend speak so evilly of Trump. Trump is not, he's not smart enough to be dangerous. Ah, I disagree, Bob. (laughs) You and I don't disagree very often. You know, I think he is, he is so easy uh, to outwit, I think that his. Um, how, how, how come he's where he is now if he's so easy to un, uh, unwit? Well, money, money, yeah, well, many reasons. Yeah, but you know the, the reality is he's there and he's going to blow up the Republican Party, and it may or may not survive. That's what I believe. Oh uh, God, uh, Carl Tubin, tell me a story. Um, <clears throat> I was very moved by 
what happened to Debbie Wasserman Schultz over an email that she supposedly sent out. And the thing is that, you know, WikiLeaks and, and whoever gave um, WikiLeaks the, uh, the, uh, um, uh, e- the email, etc., that could have been changed. And, and, and that could have been, they could have substituted another email quoting her in a, in a very negative way. I don't put it past uh, WikiLeaks and uh, and, all, and and the people who were behind this. Wow, <laughs> Dan Littner, tell me a story. So last week I got into an interesting conversation. That supposedly one of those things you're not supposed to do online, uh, but I, I believe actually engaging in conversation, even things that seem like nonsense conversations. Uh, the the various different voter protection laws supposedly that are in place that are going to place to protect the sanctity of the ballot because voter fraud into quote column pal is both rampant yet undetectable. So therefore maybe it's not real. However, I took seriously people's arguments about voter fraud and I it, it engaged them fully. And during the course of this conversation, it was online conversation. So it was all back and forth. And while trying to remain as polite as possible, um, one person actually did raise a point that there are 1.8 million people, dead people, on the voter rolls nationwide. And this person correctly said that this could be very troubling. In 2012, this was a credible report, so the 1.8 million dead people on the, on, on, the, on the ballot could be troubling. So I did a little research, and being 2012, I also looked up how many people uh, actually voted in 2012. And it was something like 128 million people. I did a little bit of math and assuming all, to be clear, all of those dead people voted, it would have been 1.23% of the voting population. And then I asked these folks who were so concerned, now first, do you think if all these 1.8 million people voted somebody may have noticed. And then to follow up, you're also presuming all these 1.8 million dead people, again, assuming they voted, which there is little evidence that they did, but assuming they voted, are you assuming they voted in the same way? And also, by the way, in the same election. And then I got an interesting pause of the, well, that's a good point. And then of course I followed up that there's a solid 6% of the U.S. population that thinks we faked the Apollo moon landing. And those are people who can breathe and can vote. The people who think that Area 51 actually holds the aliens. And I ran off a litany of other issues that are clearly nonsense of people who are also clearly breathing and can vote and made a smidgen of headway. The reason I tell that story is democracy is not simply about yelling at the top of your lungs, hoping that you get heard more than anyone else. It is about engaging those nonsense conversations because people really believe them. And, and as Al, Alan Moore, who is not here, but I will channel him, 
that the low-information voters are looking for information wherever they can. They trust their friends. They trust people they associate with more than others and might not have the opportunity to truly spend the time that we spend two hours a week sitting around talking about politics because we happen to think it's fun. Normal people with lives have kids and jobs and other things. Engaging in that conversation matters. And I would encourage both my friends on the left and right to engage in those conversations and even work through the nonsense points and work them into reality. It is possible. Now, uh, so everybody was talking about last week the big hacking at the DNC, which cost every Wasserman Schultz, and as of today, cost three senior executives at the DNC their jobs. Um, what was not widely reported, but has got a lot of people nervous, is that last Thursday, after Hillary Clinton gave her acceptance speech, it was reported that the DCCC, the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, their emails were hacked, and there's a lot of nervous people right now in Washington and out on the campaign trails that those will be leaked. That could be the next big, big hand grenade in politics if those things are leaked. Uh, that has got a lot of people nervous. Uh, the other big news, obviously, is Friday is the opening ceremonies of your 2016 Olympics in Rio de Janeiro. And apparently, um, Rio de Janeiro, if you are in an aquatic sport that is not in a pool, you are basically competing in a large cesspool. Uh, you are going to see all literally the, not figured. No, literally a large cesspool. Uh, it is. They are not be, ready. They are not ready. It is going to be a mitigated possible disaster. If it's, I hope it's not. I hope it's successful. But right now, all signs point to this is going to be a flaming dumpster fire in Rio. Carl Tuvin. I want to make one point. Um, and I don't know where this comes from, but over the last 10 days, I've been getting Donald Trump presidential requests for money. <laughs> and uh, I, I... Carl, you've I been hiding all this time. Yeah, that it's all I, can't, Carl, I can't help but say that this could be part of <clears throat> the uh, rating of the Democratic National Committee. It could come from the Congressional Campaign Committee. But it really pissed me off to be getting this job. Okay. Invite yeah. him on the show. Yeah, that's right. Ron, yeah. Invite him on the show. <laughs> anyway, on 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 that note, on behalf of Congressman Al, Bob Hines, uh, Carl Tubin, Dan Lindner, special thanks obviously to our good friend and contributor Jonathan Allen from Sidewire and Roll Call. I am your moderator, Justin Russell, and we will be back here next Tuesday talking about presidential politics. I'm sure again. There will be something that will happen in the next seven days. Live from Shelley's back room, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Bob? Darn right, if it isn't the place to be. It is the place to be. You can follow us on Twitter, at Backroom Politics. You can check out our new website, www.backroompolitics.org. And you can also email your concerns, comments to at backroompolitics.org and you can also check out our new Facebook page, facebook.com slash backroompolitics. We'll see you next Tuesday, America. Have a great week.
This is Backroom Politics.